0: Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Borderline podcast here on GRIPT. And this week I have a very, very special guest. I have, quite simply, the most powerful Irish man in Westminster. Welcome along, Mr Paul Steens, also known as Guido Fox. Hi, and uh, those are my dogs you can hear downstairs. Are you good? Well, I hope we don't upset them too much. They can join in if they want. They'll certainly make more sense <laughs> than So, Paul, you're Irish now.
1: Th- yes, I was born on a small island off the east coast of uh, of of Wexford called England. Yes,
0: tiny, uh, tiny place that some of us visit uh, when we're going to France. Look, all,
1: look I, I, I know I, when I when I went to ask for my wife's. Handed marriage, and I went up to Leash to see my father-in-law to be, and he he's he very closely questioning me. And my mother-in-law to be was very close. So, which part of Ireland are your people from? <laughs> so I'm always English to the Irish and Irish to the English, and I, I don't I don't get chippy about it. And I've heard it all before, so I am quite relaxed about it. all.
0: Yeah, I mean, I suppose you're a horrible West Brit here. Uh,
1: no, I'm not West Brit, and. Uh,
0: uh, some of my Protestant
1: friends uh, I live in Waterford um and have done since about twenty thirteen give or take and uh they some of the sort of uh the, the Protestant West Brits here do you think I'm one of them and I'm not <laughs> you know I'm, i I don't consider myself to be one of those and I think the different, difference is you know i I quite like an idea of a united island. And I don't think this is a bad country. I think this is a great country. And I liked it so much that even in the depths of despair after the financial crisis came and invested over here. So I, and I, you know, my two daughters came here when they were six and nine. And the oldest one has a English accent, which cost me a lot of money from English private schools. And the youngest one, who is now 13 next week, uh, has a Waterford accent. So I, I, I they personify the whole English Irish feeling for me in their own accents. You know what
0: they wife, have Irish names,
1: don't they? Yeah, uh, sirsha and Queaver.
0: Okay. So they must be fun trying to explain those to the English relatives and well, how to spell them. When they
1: were in England and uh, they were the mm-hmm. only sirsha and Queaver in their school and, you know, even I find, you know, Searcha originally a very difficult to spell and I had to make up acronyms and they would go into the doctors and there'd be the doctors' reception would call out Sayorizi heyomi," <laughs> and they would be expecting you know uh, uh, West Africans to come with those kind of sound <laughs> and there's these two little pale little white things they'd be like Sayorizi yes it's Sayorizi <laughs> <serious." laughs> so they're they're, they're they're very happy now that they have you know a couple of other girls in their school with the same name and it's kind of normal so <laughs> Yeah, it worked
0: out. Yeah, um, I did have a recently. I was dealing in work with with a guy who was in England, um, called Keane McSweeney, but it was spelt the Irish way. So yeah. he was he was delighted when I w- was able to phone him up and say, "Oh, your name's Keen McSweeney," because he's heard he's heard absolutely all sorts. Um, but but I mean, you see, you you probably fall into the same old thing as you do in, in Northern Ireland if if you're a Jew, you know, you're either a Catholic Jew or a Protestant Jew. So you have, you, you, whereas you are very much, you're very much a Republican, aren't you? Very much.
1: Yeah, no, um, I, I, when I was a student, I was a student in English, in the English system. And I was in the conservative students and they were very much in those days, the orange order and all that kind of stuff. And they used to sing all those kind of songs. And I would really be probably one of the few right-wing conservatives in English uh, student politics in those days who clearly was Republican and believed in the United Ireland.
0: And uh, it kind of shocks them sometimes. Okay. So have you been locked down in Waterford then, or have you been managing? Yes, yeah, semi-militarily. You know, the
1: rules, the rules meant I could have gone to London for business. But having done... Seven years of getting that late night Emirates flight on a Monday and coming back on a Thursday or Friday. It's the first time in seven years I've gone more than two weeks without getting on a plane. I, I've quite liked it. Certainly, uh, dropped my stress levels.
0: Okay. And how is the family stress levels cope with having you there <laughs> all the time? Yeah, I think
1: the wife is the wife is a little bit less uh, keen and a little bit more ready for me to take risks with the the virus than she was at the beginning of the whole thing. So yeah. I think, I, think, uh, I think my office in Westminster is reopening next week. Oh, okay. Um, so I think I might go back, you know, but I have been saying that for a couple of weeks. It's kind of, it, it, since the Waterford Tullivan flight's gone, it was great when we used to have it. It was, it was just a lovely, I'd leave here at seven, be on a 7.15 flight. They'd, they'd print out your boarding cards, sitting in a small little airport, Waterford airport. The boarding card would be sat on top of the x-ray machine, Sometimes my bag would go through the X-ray machine, sometimes they wouldn't. Jump on the plane and be at my desk at 10 o'clock. You yeah. know, it was good. I used to moan about the expense of it, but now I have a sort of seven-hour round trip, door-to-door, you know, drive up to Dublin, get on the flight. Yeah. So so I spend, you know, two half days a week just in transit. So that's, you can imagine I'm quite quite relaxed about not going back to London.
0: Well, um, I'm assuming most of the. Politicians in London are sort of delighted to have you stuck over here for a while instead of uh, uh, getting them. I have, I have
1: two guys who work for me now uh, at the moment, and it doesn't take my hands-on involvement in the same kind of way as maybe it did ten years ago, where I was actually the one going around the bars. And, you know, I, I can't, I can't remember the names of half the new intake now. You know, I've been doing this for. Sixteen years, so at some point you have to step back from being the guy who's actually out and about.
0: Yeah. So between the the two, the two of us, who do you think has handled the whole coronavirus situation better, or then the Irish politicians or the British ones?
1: Well, it's, it's you know Captain Hindsight is obviously in charge of the best army, and yeah. it being, it turns out that uh, well things we did things that we weren't told before like in the West anyway, that masks weren't that important. Turns out they were important. And I think Ireland locked down before the UK, yet, you know, the the virus was sort of moving west across Europe. So it hit Ireland a couple of days later than it hit London, say. You know, and when I look at the numbers, I think in any one day it was eight cases. And really it was a very Dublin-centric thing, wasn't it? It was basically... Like New York, like London, big yeah, port cities, with, big entrepreneurs like, for people.
0: Yeah, like. I definitely else,
1: had.
0: Like everything else in Ireland, it was very um, Dublin-centric. Um, so, yeah. do you enjoy living here more than the UK? Like, would you think you're here for the long haul, or would you move back to the UK? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this is home. Maybe we
1: we have a, a place on the beach in Waterford. Uh, in London, we lived in Islington, and you know the garden we had in London was about. Uh, well, I had a, I had a I had a shed in it, and I could almost touch the other side of the garden. It was that tiny postage stamp. Whereas over here, we have you know a couple of acres, of stream. I'm looking I'm looking out the window at the water now. Why would I want to go back? I think they get it's a cycle as well. When, if you don't want to be in a metropolis in your twenties, what's wrong with you? And when you have kids and you start thinking about schools and, you know, getting on a bit, why would you want to be in the Metropolis, you know? Yeah. So it's a cycle. Yeah. At 53, I'm definitely happy to be living in the country.
0: You said earlier, you know, when you were young, you were the right-wing conservative thing. Do you still consider yourself that? Well, everyone
1: else does. In fact, if I look at my inbox on Twitter, I'm apparently a Nazi half the time. Yeah. Um, uh, so I'd say when I was you know, a teenager, I, I've told this story before, I read, um, you know, I went to a Catholic boys' school. I had a traditional uh, Catholic boys' education, although my wife says it wasn't as strict as her convent girl's education. And you kind of, you know, the great thing about a Catholic library is you have, you know, classical books, you know, you had Plato and stuff like that. So I, I think for a time, very precocious when I was thirteen. I, I was telling people I was a neo protonicist. Not sure I understood what that meant at the time. But by the time I was kind of a teenager, having read uh, Karl Popper, Hayek, I definitely saw myself as a libertarian conservative. And I know I had a stage where I was an ar- anarcho-capitalist. And
0: so uh, you you, know, you read books at Catholic school, did you? <laughs> That's new to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. I, I went to Catholic school. We didn't do mad stuff like that. You couldn't be reading books. That would be just silly. <laughs> yeah i i think um
1: i think it was I, my school my school was a society divine savior Salvatorian college and they were quite english catholics are quite intellectual you know it's, they're not born to it they they choose it to some degree so they think about it a bit more and there was more not quite jesuit We had a couple of jesuit masters but it was it wasn't discouraged i was fine with that um, yeah, well,
0: i, I- I do know several people in, in the UK at the minute, you know, who have kids and have been going back to church and stuff since they had kids because they want their kids to go to Catholic schools and um, because they are considered the best. Is that still the case? There is there is a sense,
1: particularly in the metropolises, uh, that you're um, you're gonna get a better education at a church school. Um now whether that is middle class angst at going to um, a non-denominational state school and whether it's you know uh, let's be polite about it whether it's whether it's polite racism I'm not sure but it's so but you know the English school system has changed so much they've had so many reforms you know London schools are now better than most schools because they poured money in and they went back to a more traditional syllabus with testing and all that.
0: You are obviously you did lots of things before, lots of really interesting things, which no one really talks to you hugely about, like your investment banking and stuff like that, because that's probably more proof that you're a horrible Nazi being a banker and stuff as well. But 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 you're certainly most famous for your blog. Although it's not really a blog anymore, is it? No,
1: we we kind of dropped the blog. I mean, it still keeps some of the the heritage traditions of a blog and that the latest stories at the top. But it's more we're more somewhere between a news wire and a blog. You know, it's very yeah. I always say to the guys who have me that less of your opinions and more news, please. You know, people aren't really interested in opinions half as much as they are in news and gossip.
0: Yeah. So for those of you listening in Ireland who don't know Paul's website, it's orderorder.com, dot com, which is extremely famous i don't know why you don't know it if you're listening to this um but you should it's extremely famous and it's probably the i don't really know it's one of the most if not the only honest political site left in the uk that (laughs) consider that reports that reports honestly on politics because you know you know, if you like a politician, Paul, you know you can. It's perfectly reasonable to like a politician. I think I'm not really sure, but I think it's probably reasonable to like one. But if they do something shitty, if they do something politicians-wise, like you won't hesitate to report on it, will you?
1: No, I always get to say that I, I didn't go to Westminster to make friends, and I've certainly achieved that ob- objective. Um, you know, it's they, they all know if they screw up. And we catch them we're gonna go for them you know that, that's that's just the way it is and uh, you've got to accept that
0: yeah because you know certainly in ireland in my brief foray into journalism i find this there is the whole political journal all stuck in the same room all you know this little bubble and they they don't do things to annoy the other people but You've something so, so so small, isn't it? Because, you know, yeah. I was, I remember there was a Clongos.
1: I can't remember, you know, multi-centenary dinner, and half the political. I think all at the time, all the political leaders had been to Clongos, you know, and half of them met in the Law Library, or half of them were at Trinity. It's it's not. I mean, I know in in the UK, Oxford is sort of a breeding ground of politicians, but it's nowhere near as concentrated as Ireland.
0: No, and if you actually do some research and look up on how many families have have pretty much a hundred-year history in the Doyle, um, it's it's like the greatest number in the world of you know n- people handing down their seats throughout generations. It's it is. I mean, we are very small, but the Doyle, the the Dublin political base is certainly minuscule, but you somehow in London managed to sort of stay inside the bubble, but outside the bubble at the same time. Is that fair? Is that Or is that just me? Yeah, problem?
1: well, look, I mean, just in case your readers are under any, uh, listeners are under any, any misapprehension, uh, we have, we're a right of centre publication and uh, make no bones about that. So we've always given labour a harder time. Um, and in the sort of, Years when the Tories were in opposition, people enjoyed us hammering the, the, the Labour guys in government. And that kind of that ethos carried on when the Tories got in and they started doing things we didn't like. So on the politics of it, although the politics doesn't really dictate a good gossip story about someone caught their pants down or fingers in the till. Uh, we kind of there's no there's no way there's no point holding back. It's not, it's not good business to hold back either. It's much, more, much better. It's much better to please the readers and give them give them the red meat. And sure. I think that's that's often missing in political websites who are committed to the cause. Yeah, yeah. They, they they care more about the cause and they cover up for their own side. Yeah, you know,
0: So and that that isn't the case with us. Yeah. It's, speaking of fingers in the tail how on earth has the RHI scandal in the North not been front page news in the UK for ages? Not, any single person I ask in England, do you know what RHI scandal is? They say, no, what are you talking about? And yet it has cost the English well, taxpayer a quarter of a billion probably a quarter of a billion, I mean, the, the English taxpayers farting that out at the moment.
1: Stuff yeah, yeah I know, but you know, um,
0: you know but, but, but well, Barrett's bar claim same was 900 grand last week and that made a massive stink. Yeah, that's an easy to
1: understand <laughs> water cooler type story. So the thing is, the
0: Westminster media, the London-based
1: media, aren't interested in anything that isn't Westminster. And the it's same in Scotland, same in Wales, which are both kind of one-party states, S&P, uh, labour and, and it's all just treated as regional news you know it's not it's not of importance it's too
0: local yeah i suppose although in the classic irish way only only irish people could be paying farmers to eat the outsider of their farm but i it, it, it baffles me but do, are you a unionist then? From I know you're, you the Irish point of view, you you think there should be United Ireland. No, are you I, a unionist I, from the Scottish Welsh point of view?
1: I, I, no, I, th- I think um, there's something really weird about. Uh, I, I don't understand why. If I if I was a Scot, I'd like. I think I could run Scotland from Scotland rather than from London. So I'm kind of keen on small is beautiful, and that uh, I'm pretty sure the Scottish people could run their own country without the help of the English in Westminster. I'm sure even the Welsh could do it. There are lots of tiny micro-states around the world, and they are generally happier and better run than, uh, you know, the big, massive countries. Mm, like Kerry. <laughs> yeah, Kerry, which I always think of as the Texas of Ireland. You
0: know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... um that's interesting I'll, that can be headlines somewhere tomorrow if anyone ever listened to this blog that <laughs> you be you be that's no, S- well known
1: it's well, it's well known that i, I support the um, SNP's uh, ambitions for uh, uh, national determin- self determination but you know what would happen in scotland if they did get control of their own country would be it would split more along normal left right lines and most countries usually have a center right mildly nationalist party. The SNP would not be a left-wing party if if Scotland was uh, an independent country.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that interestingly gets us on to most countries and their left-right splits and stuff. What do you make of Ireland then? (laughs) I have been told for 20 years you don't
1: understand Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. And at some point they have to let go. I was for my sins, even before we came over here, a member of the Progressive Democrats. Okay. And, and uh, I registered at my parents' address in Wexford. And I remember my mum being woke telling me the story of her being woken up on a Saturday morning by a fellow and, and said, what are you doing? A Progressive Democrat knocking on the door in Wexford was quite something. Um, uh, my wife's family are Fina Foyle and, uh, and I would probably be Fina Gale. When... In fact in fact in fact about I can't remember it was was it about when was the twenty was it twenty eleven or twenty twelve there was an election and uh Wait, I went to see Feenegel month. <laughs> <This is 24. laughs> I went to see Fine Gael. This would be end of time, wouldn't it? I went to yeah. see Fine girl and offered to help them with the digital campaign. And uh they uh came up with a budget, I think they said they were very
0: interested and they had a budget of sixteen thousand euros. And somebody said to you, "Ah, oh, that's the internet <laughs> thing. Sure, that'll be gone in a year or two, anyway." And I was
1: like, "I don't know what you can do with that."
0: So uh, good luck. And then a few years later, <laughs> le-
1: a few years later, a friend of mine who, um Finnegall and and the and Finnegall HQ in Dublin and CCHQ in London do swap people around, you know, and they like they do with the Republicans as well. You know, they kind of learn from each other campaigning techniques. And my friend won the contract to do it. And he said the same. I congratulated him on uh, doing the Feena Girl campaign. It was like 40,000 euros this time. And he said, do you want to do it? (laughs) I don't know why online campaigning isn't so big over over here. I watched very closely the last election. And there were posters everywhere. I don't think those posters work half as well as people think.
0: Well, I mean, there are... There are the shinnerbots here who have taken over the sort of online stuff here. I mean, on, no, on Twitter.
1: The people on Twitter are decided. There's not many undecideds on Twitter, not in politics anyway. And that's yeah. not where, I mean, I don't go into the whole theory of campaigning. You know, I've been involved in online campaigns. I, yeah, just place someone who doesn't understand this. I also own a, a advertising company, Digital Campaigning company, and we do business with uh, a lot of people around the world over the years. Um, in fact, we were involved in Lisbon 1, I think, or Lisbon 2, I can't remember. Um, and I'm bemused at the lack of effort put in by the parties over here to uh, use digital more. They have nice, fancy websites, but they don't really do targeting.
0: But does that But Does that go back to the whole journalist thing that I, you know they're all very close with their journalists who work for the times or the indo and you know i mean the like the endos the Indo have recently went to a subscription service but the, the Indo's website has been crap forever they've never really understood how to use the internet the times has been subscription they've probably done a better job but than before but you know, most of the journalists want to go work for the Indo and the or the Times, and is it a case of they just don't know? Are we still behind the times when it comes to it? Do you think the whole country is, yeah, or is there... I think I think
1: Ireland's very well served by newspapers. To be honest, you might you might not believe it, but there are what thirty regional papers in a country of four million people, four or five million people. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, every, almost every county has a, a weekly paper, at least. That is, uh, the Irish people do like to read papers, and it's uh, yeah, it's not so bad. I think you could be you are underestimating how uh, how good your media are. I mean, RTE is a whole different kettle of fish, but the newspapers, whether you agree with the editorial line or not, is quite well served. I mean, I I, I read probably the Business Post on the weekend. It's probably the main
0: paper I read. Do you still buy paper or do you read it online?
1: I buy the business post. I read, I don't, I don't subscribe to it online. It's, you know, I I just, Sunday paper I like to have lying around. And of course I have subscriptions to the FT, the Telegraph, the Times.
0: So that's all all online. Okay. So let's talk about RTE then. (laughs) (laughs) Who's worse, RTE or the BBC? Well,
1: they both suffer from the same flaws, right? I think RTE are, in my reading of of RT is they're always a bit afraid of the government and they're not really as aggressive uh, towards the government, whoever's in power. And it's, it all flows from being financed by a licence fee. And you get a t- certain type of journalism that's antipathetic to free enterprise when you have that funding model. And it's the same all over the world. There's about... 30 countries around the world that have license-free funding and all of them have a monolithic uh, uh,
0: national broadcaster. So if if Paul was Taoiseach tomorrow which might actually happen given the state of the way things are at the minute. <laughs> yeah, um, very much done. yeah well people would have, would have doubted Michal was going to be Taoiseach <laughs> a few weeks ago and he probably is so yeah. Anyway, if you were well, if you were if you were president, and um, God willing, someday someone other than El Presidente will be. But would you would you abolish the license fee here for RTE then immediately?
1: Yeah, I would. I would move towards a subscription model or a um, advertiser funding model. I mean, it's not so bad. At least uh, as far as I can tell from the radio stations are advertising funded. And yeah. in the UK, it's, the BBC has crowded out all the local media because they have a free-to-air model that makes it impossible for commercial competitors in some of the smaller markets. And I think that's, to some extent, quite an achievement to have as many radio stations covering the nation as Ireland does. Um, but, yeah, I just think it's wrong that people should have to pay a licence fee for a television. It it's just doesn't... It, I have a moral... Uh,
0: aversion to being conscripted into paying something I don't want. I mean, it gets worse because we, it still hasn't been officially brought in, but we were supposed to have our broadcasting tax rather than a TV licence, which was to get around the whole thing of um, you don't actually need the TV anymore.
1: Oh, so. th- I thought uh, they were going to try and attach a levy to your broadband bill so you could it would no longer be a TV license, it would be a tax on broadband usage, you know.
0: It was Pat Rabbit who mooted this broadcasting tax thing, because I think someone told him one day, Pat, you know, you can actually watch TV on your phone now, so you might have panicked (laughs) over that. (laughs) Um, And then, you know,
1: even if they try and do that with a broadband service charge idea, what happens when Elon Musk puts the satellite in the sky above us, and we all get our internet from Elon, and you know, it might be good to escape from, uh, from Aircon, that's for sure, but
0: how are they going to tax that? Well, I mean, if there's one thing governments are good at, and it probably is the only one thing governments are good at, it's finding a way to tax things. Certainly, certainly in Ireland. I mean, would would the UK have got away with the USC? I mean, you did famously have the poll tax riots, and yet we well, st- we ten, twelve years later, we still have the USC. I see the
1: USC on my um on my uh on my payslip, and. Uh it seems to be just like a a standard payroll tax. The in Britain they have national insurance, right? So, yeah. It was just an excuse for another another, you know, oh, famously income tax was a temporary thing to pay for the Napoleonic war in Britain, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, those temporary taxes tend to last forever.
0: Yeah. Uh, you need
1: a, you need a reforming government along the lines of those ones you had in the 80s that, you know, consolidates the taxes and flattens them and lowers and flattens them and <laughs> What's the point of having all these taxes? You have a single tax. So your payslip. So you, you still you're employed in Ireland, then are you? Uh, I'm an I'm an Irish taxpayer, and uh, it, you know I, I read on the internet about how I'm all offshore and this, that, and the other. And my wife says, "Do they know that you pay taxes in all these countries?" And I'm like, "Let's not go into it," you know, basically. <laughs> but <laughs> you know, I pay I pay pay my fair whack.
0: I think I I'm sure you do, because I mean. You know, in, in fairness to you, and, and people don't give you enough credit, I don't think for this, is that you you were probably one of the first people to ever figure out a way how to make money out of all this. And make probably good money because you decided to go to the source and, and start your own advertising Well, this, this, this I have to give my wife credit for.
1: So when I started this out and I said to her, you know, I'm going to give this blogging thing a lark. She thought I said broking, and I used to be a bond broker. Yeah, and I said no, no blogging. And she did, you know, as only wives can do. It was a frosty response to that. And then after about a year of, it, she said, "Well, how is this ever going to work?" And I said, well, "I'm going to sell advertising." She said, "Well, who's going to sell the advertising?" And all this, and just as it happened, these guys came in the door, said that they wanted to do advertising on sort of a co-op basis. So there would be a sort of left-wing websites, right-wing websites, centrist websites, all of them. And we'd sell it, sell the advertising cooperatively. And I went to a couple of meetings and no one wanted to do the value added tax and, you know, all the paperwork. So I said, I'd do it. And it was probably the smartest thing I ever did. Um, and I, a few years into it, bought out everyone else or bought out most of the people. And, uh, it turns out the way to make money on the internet is to own the advertising company, uh, that sells your advertising. And, uh, you know, me and Google have figured that out. So yeah, it's it's it sounds clever now, but uh, my wife was paying the bills for the first four years. I can tell you, and she never lets yeah. me forget that.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm I'm sure I'm sure she won't. So do you reckon there's a um? I mean, you've you've never obviously started up order order dot ie. What I don't really know what you'd call it here, but. I mean, I guess it's probably very difficult to make money here if you wanted to do but anything I look, here. I,
1: I did, I did uh, when politics.ie, I did look into buying that um, because I thought that was, you know, the, 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 I think it's still going, isn't it? It's the comment site. It seemed quite busy. And I thought it could be built out from there. And um, it's not they were asking too much. They were asking a bit too much, but also uh, for the price they were asking, I thought I could build something different. And then I thought, what am I doing? At least you know, at home, most of my neighbours don't know what I do. I've got the wrong accent, as everyone points out, um, and it only just cause trouble.
0: Yeah, so, and you you definitely would so. pick the wrong side, or one of the three sides, or four sides, or fifteen sides that there are now. So, but do you think? You, do you think Ireland? needs an order order? Do you think there's a space for something here? Do you think we, we let our politicians off too easily?
1: Well, there's this theory that uh, if you want, all the people who wanted change left Ireland or leave Ireland because they can't cope with the inertia of the system. And I think there's some truth for that, you know, the myth of the Irish rebelliousness. So that's, that's, it just seems intractable. You know, you've had these two parties going on for, uh, well, literally a century now. Who seem to swap the, uh, the the government government of the country between them. There's never any radical change. Now that sometimes is a blessing, but they never really go in one firm direction or another. And it's to my mind, I know I know Sinn Fein calls them both conservative parties, but they're actually quite social democrat.
0: Yeah, they they're. I mean, Fine Gael are no more right wing than. You know they're they're at least centrist, if if anything, in in my opinion, anyway. But is that not the same as the UK? I mean, you have you know yeah, yeah. two parties thought, there. I thought
1: I thought Veradka was um, kind of doing the same thing that Cameron tried to do with his party, where he tried to make it more in tune with the modern Ireland. You know that the the rejection of the of the church after after all the pedo priest stuff was quite quite dramatic you know um my in-laws are very observant catholics and the the drop-off in belief and generally the emptying of the churches it seemed to me was quite strong so maybe people did need to move the government along and not be in hot to the church so much so i think that was a good thing
0: okay fair enough well so l- just to finish up um boris or leo then If you had to make a choice, (laughs) who would you choose?
1: Well, I don't know Leo very well, but uh, Boris is certainly um, a lot of fun. Um, So I'm
0: afraid I probably prefer uh, Boris. Is that to go for a pint with? What about running the country with?
1: Yeah, this sort of air of... uh, If you read the
0: Irish media and... uh,
1: my friends over here, they think Boris is an idiot and that he's lazy and he's kind of slapdash. And they mistake the, the persona that he's crafted, the act, for the real guy. This is a guy who gets up at five in the morning and is as sharp as, as they come. So don't be fooled by that whole bumbling bluster. You know, it's a big mistake to make. I mean, this is a guy who won the first majority, Conservative Party majority since Thatcher, you know. So yeah. he he he's no fool, and uh, he it, I know a lot of people don't understand why all of us on the right are keen on Brexit, but he achieved it against massive establishment odds. You know today's the uh, fourth anniversary of the vote, so it's you got to recognise that he's got talents that not many politicians
0: have. And you think it was a you said he achieved it. you think Brexit was a Boris achievement? I mean, I know there's others involved.
1: But- yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, Farage laid the groundwork and uh, half the Conservative Party in the UK had always wanted to leave. But they wouldn't of over- Boris, I don't think, because he had the popular appeal and he made it, you know, he gave some good speeches, but he also made it, he made it, it normalised the idea of it. When it was a lot of uh, civil-eyed freaks it kind of, the, you look to the people and thought, well, it might be a good idea, it might be a bad idea, but I don't like the look of them. But Boris, he, he, he's likable, and he made the concept much less. So we'll ask you, I'll ask you a
0: final, final question then. Should there be an R exit?
1: Um, I always joke with my friends that uh, the, the, the this, is, this is the first phase for me, Brexit, you, here's something very, it's a serious point, actually it seems to me obvious if the brits and the americans as trump wants and boris won, do a trade deal a big trade deal you know maybe maybe congressman now three ireland is right in the middle if there's going to be a north atlantic free trade area maybe ireland should be in it and ireland does more business in sterling and dollars than it does in euro why are we in euro (laughs)
0: You know, well,
1: our excessive in trade is in dollars and sterling. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, I I I do play golf in a quite upmarket golf club with a lot of guys who are, you know, investment guys, a lot of rich guys, legal guys, a lot of really wealthy, intelligent people and they're all completely in love with the EU. And anytime that I I'm I'm literally the only person in the whole golf club who was pro Brexit. Who, and and the abuse that I get for it, and I and I keep saying to them, you know, guys, if you look at this from your purely legal business, whatever it is, head that you are, the only logical thing for Ireland to do is leave the EU and join, you know, join the UK and as you say, America in some sort of other thing. But they just. Laugh at me? That, they honestly just laugh because, at me. The- because, but British, Brit- British, big business quite like the EU. You know,
1: it gave a level playing field. They knew the rules. The rules are the same everywhere. But I think the Irish politics, the Irish people aren't stupid. They the, part of the reason they like the EU is it keeps the gobshites in Dublin in check. You I mean before they were in the EU? This is our parents' generation. It was even more corrupt. So at least the EU keeps it reasonably straight from some point of view. And also is a check on on Dublin power and it makes you part of a bigger club. So there are those kind of reasons. But I think when the Brits make a success of Brexit, then people go, well, what are we? And, you know, don't forget Ireland's going to pay a lot more into the club now. Um, You know, the advantages are going to seem, the disadvantages of leaving are going to seem minuscule because the Brits are going to get a decent deal eventually. So what's the fear of leaving? And, you know, the amount of agricultural trade that Ireland does with the UK is, I don't know, 30, 40% of yeah. agricultural exports go there. The, Ireland's got a vested interest in a successful Brexit. If the Brits have a successful Brexit, in five years' time, I can see people thinking, Ireland wants out. Why are we paying billions to Brussels? It's, it's a normal... It, the, the template will be there. Yeah, but they, the Irish people will not believe this. I gave you an example of that flight. For, I mentioned at the beginning of this from Waterford to Luton that I used to get on. It was a very business flight. It's, you know, a lot of Irish city lawyers a lot of Irish property people, and they all knew where I lay. And when the vote came through four years ago, on the on the Friday I came back, they slow clapped me on the flight back. <laughs>
0: <It's> like, <laughs> yeah. I know
1: exactly what you mean from your golf buddies. You know, yeah, and I don't and I don't talk about it. uh at dinner parties, so I just don't talk about it. And even when people try and get out, I just know that
0: people absolutely lose the plot. Yeah, which is, I don't know. I think it's sad in a way. I don't, I don't understand why people can't talk, at least talk about it. I mean, I do I, get abused do get abuse, but there's only been one guy on the golf course who w- refuses to speak to me now over it. But the rest of them just give me the, you know, the good natured banter. <laughs> A, a
1: bit of a bit of uh, the Brexit campaign was plotted in my back garden, so
0: um, I probably should leave it at that. <laughs> so that's, that's how, how can how can we how can we spin that then? <laughs> British insert, well, and British insert, no, started no, in Waterford.
1: It's no, it's no secret that um, Matthew Elliott, who set up the campaign, is, is an old friend of mine, and we I, we ran the digital campaign for. There was an alternative vote referendum a couple of years before which was like a precursor referendum national referendum campaign where we learned a lot and uh, before in sort of uh, early 2016 he came over and we kind of chatted about how it might go so you know there you go
0: fascinating well listen paul thank you very much it's been an absolute pleasure it's been an insight as well um no i i i'm a big fan of of Uh, order order and uh, i like
1: rips i think i think i think i think it's something going there you know there's a certain
0: news flow
1: and i think it's got a lot of potential you know good
0: Um, i think it's needed as well and i mean i do have from what that's great to hear from someone like you from what you've actually done because i really don't think you get enough credit for what you've actually done to political journalism in the uk it's it's been fascinating stuff for a for some somewhat of a junkie like me to watch and see, so um, I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much. No problem. And um, enjoy the rest of the lockdown in Waterford. Good luck to you guys.